Welcome back to the Superheroes Everyday Podcast. I'm Danny Horn, and I'm here with Stuart Manning. Hello, Stuart. Hello. This is Act 2 of the 1997 high-kicking hit parade, Batman and Robin. The story so far, God, I don't know. Uh, There's a bunch of cartoon characters who are living in a toy box called Gotham City, and mostly they just chase each other around in cars and motorcycles and rocket ships. Arnold Schwarzenegger is very upset. Because his wife has one of those fatal diseases where you look totally fine, but they have to put you in a giant water tank. And he needs to steal a bunch of real big diamonds. That's going to cure his wife somehow. Meanwhile, Uma Thurman's all dressed up in a red wig and a green leotard, and she thinks she's the queen of plants, which is debatable. And then Batman and Robin are kind of hanging around in the background trying to make some kind of impression on the audience. There, that's you all caught up. Welcome to Act 2. So one question that I have getting into Act 2 is kind of what sort of expectations folks should have coming into this film. Back in 2011, I went to see, there was a touring arena show called Batman Live, which was kind of like this. Which looks exactly like this. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the photos. It was fantastic. I went, it was, it was delicious. It was sort of the stunt spectacular with like acrobats and people flipping around, having fight scenes, basically dance numbers with like a ton of different villains. So you don't go into a show like that thinking like, this is a show about the world's greatest detective battling his personal demons. Like you go in thinking, I want to see some loud, colorful, crazy shit. And basically you leave the show and it feels like you've been on a roller coaster. Like you're just kind of like excited and kind of tired, but like super pumped up. And I think that's what this movie's trying to do. And so my question for you is like, do you think it's, it is amping people up in that way? I, I think it, there's an old little tug of war that's going on through it where Every once in a while, it feels like it has to be a proper movie for a bit. Mostly the Alfred stuff, which is suddenly the lighting is dialed down, the performances are dialed down, and there are right. you know, people doing some reverent, uh, inverted commas, proper acting. And I, I think it does have a sort of problem. Is like you're going, well, when can we get to the next big set? I, I'm just right. not really interested in this. I, I, I did find a, there was a quote from Clooney that I think sort of summed it up. Um, we summed up his approach, but I think it does sum up the um, the question this movie is grappling with, which I'll read it. It's like, he's a 35-year-old guy who lives in a giant mansion and has billions of dollars and goes out with the most beautiful women in the world. I don't think anyone is going to feel sorry for him going, woe is me, my parents died. Hmm. And I think that's what this film is struggling from, is like, how do you liberate uh, Bruce from all that dark night angst? Right. But still, like, give him something to play. You know, and even in the wake of Batman Forever, where, I mean, literally his his love interest is his psychiatrist. <laughs> right. We can psychoanalyze him to the nth degree. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know where there was to go from there, other than mm-hmm. to kill Robin, which clearly this is not the film you would do that in. Right. But you then have, who is Bruce if at this point, if he's not this kind of brooding, troubled person? And Clooney Clooney does not have an answer to that right. quite clearly. And so he plays him as a sort of genial presence and is even deliver even to the point where he's sort of delivering lines that do not sh- he should not be smirking through with a smirk. He's, he smiles all of the time, no matter what, even when he says like Alfred Alfred's has a dying. fatal disease. Yeah, no, Alfred's dying. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of like nods and smiles. It's very, very strange. And is that an actor who just really wants to be liked? Yeah. I, I wonder, is that a sort of va- a slight vanity thing that 
I, I'm a likable star and I'm playing and maybe he's playing it that Bruce is an incredibly likable, charismatic person. But yeah, it's there are a lot there are some very odd choices in that respect where I think it's meant to be to make Bruce careworn, but it makes him look mildly like a sociopath. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess the the question is like if Joel Schumacher is there talking through a megaphone and saying, Now remember, George, this is a cartoon. But they're not giving him like a cartoony character or cartoony lines that he's like, no, well, I can't play. I can't play tragic with these lines. Yeah. And so it's it. there is this weird thing that it, it kind of I guess what they decided they were going for is they're going to make this a family unit. And that's mm-hmm. the nearest this film has to a theme, I suppose, is right. that, that, you know, we, we form the 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 people we we find ourselves closest to we form a family with whether they're actually a conventional one or not right and our lives are enriched for that and that's I think for what was aiming to be a family movie that's a really good way of uh, providing a, a through line for these very disparate characters if you're not going to take them down the angst route right the problem it has is then that Clooney has to be dad yeah so he's basically mostly sitcom dad telling the kids things they can't do right and that is that is kind of where all the the batman and robin tension is is that robin is being a teenager and it therefore it, it kind of pulls you into really unhelpful directions it makes yeah. Batman this boring square dude who's not <laughs> yeah. upholding law and order he's sort of telling the kids to behave right. and it also simultaneously i think makes barbara and dick really juvenile yes more yeah so than they, they need they should be or really have any cause to be we get to go to the flower ball so this is kind of if you want another big scene i think this is the really the other really big scene but what we got here is a gorilla so this is this is apparently a reference to marlena dietrich in blonde venus where Mm -hmm. she performs a number in a gorilla suit and kind of stomps around as the gorilla and then slowly takes off the hands and then takes off the mask and and it's this beautiful marlena dietrich inside well see i love that that's just such a as a reference to stick in a a happy meal film for eight year old no yeah it's so odd poison ivy here she's got so now now we're really this is a big costume which i am i am not that happy with like she's got it's a leotard she's got some green accessories and she's got the bright red hair i think i think my issue is the hair is the wigs the color or the styling? They kind of just like hang down on her. They look like, we, it does not look like, oh, she has all this luscious red hair. It mm-hmm. looks like she is wearing a very weird long wig that's kind of hanging on her. I think the red costume she has later is much nicer and it's got like fawny bits on it. So it looks yeah. kind of organic. Um There was, in one of the special features I watched, there was the costume designer lamenting that they did not have enough time to fabricate the latex. So maybe. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so maybe it's more simplified than it was meant to be. Okay, I think, yeah. I think you're right. It is just a green leotard. Yeah. Um, and... There are some little accessories, but like one thing that we don't see actually with Poison Ivy is we don't see her controlling plant. I know what you mean. Given we're in a room full of plants. Yeah. That does feel a bit of a missed opportunity. We see Freeze, like he comes in, he is, he is definitely in charge of cold. He mm. creates snow, he creates ice. He freezes things, but we don't really see her. I mean, it, it is odd. Like, 
I like the weirdness of the Marlena Dietrich reference with her being a gorilla, but like being a gorilla doesn't fit in with her actual theme as a character. No. And this is, and this is a jungle themed event. There is a sort of mixed metaphor in there somewhere, isn't there? I like the sequence though. I like mm-hmm. the I like the space and the styling. And it, again, it feels like we've got back to a very big over-decorated room. And yes, this yeah. film, I think, happily inhabits those. And I do the thing, everything I really like about this that feels oddly possibly the most relatable thing in the whole film is um Batman and Robin turning up as celebrities at this thing and are clearly bored and do not know what to do. <laughs> they sort of stood at the edge and uh, they sit at the edge of the stage and they're kind of shuffling from one foot to another, looking thoroughly, you know, embarrassed. <laughs> there. And they're being upstaged. And, uh, yes. Which is just not an experience that Batman and Robin should ever have. Something funny about Batman just being here as Batman is that does Bruce Wayne, is he sponsoring? I think he's sponsoring He's yeah. and and does not show up to the fancy party but if it was the 60 if it was the 60s show they would be making a whole farce out of that right if he goes back and forth behind pillars and coming out as batman and just missing each other yeah and they did a little of that in batman forever where like he's at the circus as bruce and then mm-hmm. has to like duck out and change um yeah so here he's just there he's just there as batman um and and this is where poison ivy uh blows some smoke at him mm-hmm. and flirts with him i kind of have a problem with the smoke which i'm which i, I believe i mentioned earlier of just like she's supposed to be sexy and and kind of thrilling these people and she only does it by drugging people it's an it is an odd thing because actually the body language of the crowd isn't really there they, they are mesmerized by her before this happens so mm-hmm. it, it is arguable that she doesn't need to do it and yeah uh, and you know, with Commissioner Gordon, I mean, he's such a stooge; he doesn't yeah. need drugs. And <laughs> right. I think it's actually is is the joke less funny? Yeah. If the the joke surely is that the that that no man can resist her, right? Uh, yes, and that, that's the and and there's a very it's a short leap to play that as farce and for it to be mm-hmm. very funny, which they sort of do in the scene because the whole yeah. stuff about. Batman and Robin trying to outbid each other these ridiculous amounts is totally yes. the joke. But yes, it does have a sort of... But yeah, I, I think you're right. I would like it better if it was just that she is so beautiful. Like that that would position her mm-hmm. as being super important and special. It'd make it more dangerous. In a way that, yeah, that I think it like kind of undercuts by saying, no, it's actually, it's because of this powder and it's a power that's going to wear off after a while. Mm-hmm. It means there isn't kind of like that sexual connection between them. Yeah. But that's where, as you were saying earlier, it's an oddly coy film in that respect. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if that part is queer as much as just like, it's the absence of straightness rather than like the presence of gay. Well, I suppose there is the sort of slightly smirking subversive thing that the dumbest thing two guys could possibly be doing is arguing over a woman. That is but, true. Yes. Yeah. But yes, actually, there's no. I think beyond that and being a bit gaudy, I don't think that actually is. Yeah. I, I think there's, it's a bit of a leap to say that that's being consciously queer or anything like that. Mr. Freeze comes in. 
He does. <laughs> he invades just like once again drives his freeze mobile like through plate glass windows. Everybody has to smash stuff every time they mm-hmm. enter a room. These people cannot just enter a room normally. Everything goes up a notch. You can also tell, I think, because it's literally where the money is. <laughs> Everyone's attention goes up a couple of notches when... When he shows up. When, yeah. he, when he's on set and he's in close-up. Yeah. And then here's Freeze meeting Poison Ivy. And I like his dialogue. He's like, well, look at you. Let me guess. Plant girl? Vine <laughs> lady? Hand over the diamond garden gal? And I just... I like that he has his own jokes and is dismissive of her. They keep sort of trying to make Mr. Freeze very quotable. And yeah. sometimes with mixed success, like they keep trying to make uh, the Battenbird a thing, which I don't think it ever really lands in that way. But he keeps saying it nonetheless. And I, right. I kind of, if you've, he gives me the impression of someone who's written his material and he's committed to it and he's going to do, I like the, the, those two characters together. Suddenly mm-hmm. she's more interesting with him. Yeah. And I think the physicality between them plays well. They look mm-hmm. good together. They look better together than they do separately, which is... And I like that her pheromone just doesn't work on him. That she tries, like she tries with everybody that she sees. Um, and he's amused by that, just like he is by everything in this film. <laughs> yes. And he calls her clever little Clover. He just has like little... He's he's actually funny. And then he gets away again, despite the fact that he is enormous and very slow. And there's police here. Nobody nobody seems... The police are kind of amazing. Nobody actually wants to catch criminals in this movie at all. No. Well, it's they're, they're having a nice night out. And, uh, <laughs> you know... Then there's a chase scene. We leave kind of Poison Ivy with, uh, with Bane in his gorilla suit. And then Batman and Robin are actually, like, they're... Batman's on... He's in the Batmobile. Robin's on his red Redbird cycle. And they are driving through... Gotham City's very statue-heavy architecture. This is a weird one where you kind of like are smashing through the big head and going down his shoulder, and then his arm is kind of pointed up, which Freeze uses as a, a ramp to get to another. It's it is for a stunt. It is very an unreal situation. It feels to me, and maybe that maybe it plays exactly the. It, it feels like eight-year-olds playing with cars. Toy yeah. cars on weird surfaces, you mm. know, edge of the sofa, or I don't know. I I know what you mean about like the visual storytelling of it, where I think there's quite a lot of sequences in that where you kind of you sort of two shots behind the action, where you're kind of going, oh mm. right, okay, that's what they are. They're going down the shoulder, right? Until yeah. they this sort of very strange polished vista. Yeah, you don't really know what it is. Great. It's got some great inserts in it. I think actually, like Chris O'Donnell looks amazing in the close-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, cut into cut with the stunts. I thought actually that's really well edited. And he, you know, those are really good hero shots. They're like sparks falling behind him, and it, yeah, you know, that's really well shot. But yeah, a lot of the surrounding, the sort of the the money shots, just are yeah, often they just make you scratch your head a bit. I agree that that Robin, like he gets this is. This is a very emotional, weirdly emotional moment for him where Batman decides that that he's not going to make the jump and he uh, he turns off the, the bird cycle remotely. So, again, you know, Batman being dad confiscates the remote. It's yeah, that, it really is that sort of that's kind of the level we're playing. The way that the sequence ends is kind of that that basically like both Freeze and the Batmobile 
make it onto this roof and then they both just kind of stop Mm -hmm. and they get out of the car and now batman has caught mr freeze and that's it it's very kind of action figure of like you just you take batman out of the batmobile you take freeze out of the freeze mobile and they're next to each other and now that means that he's caught yeah it's obviously it's a big jump cut presumably because it would be ridiculous to try and dramatize how they get off this roof (laughs) right yeah and we, where we jump to is uh, another argument at the Batcave where Robin's upset again. And he's, it's Batman and Robin's, not Robin and Batman. I'm sick of it. You're never going to trust me. Robin keeps declaring independence pretty much every three scenes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of revolution going on in the Batcave. It's like he's just going to go and sulk in his room for a bit and then everything will be reset and we'll we'll have this argument again the next time. Right, yeah, exactly. You don't feel you're getting enough attention. Yeah. And it's, again, it's sort of oddly, it is juvenile. Mm-hmm. It's a very sort of, it's, it's a sort of very stroppy, it's not even sort of teenage, it's like a sort of eight-year-old mentality. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm really upset about this and now I, you know, I sort of, and especially since it's, I, it's, it's, I see it in my friends' kids when they're sort of like you know <laughs> yeah. completely they're sobbing and they're completely incandescent about something, and then thirty seconds later they've like forgotten that and they're perfectly happy again. That that's sort of because it wasn't it wasn't really a real thing anyway. It was just right. yeah them overreacting. Yeah, and I think that is especially weird here because part of this is supposed to be sexual. That like you know they're they're upset about they're both interested in poison ivy. Mm. and he's saying like she doesn't want you she wants me i'm the man like the grown-up man that she really wants but you don't it's hard to feel that like you say because he's acting like a kid again i think no one i mean they i, I think they are action figures in the truest sense i mean they yeah. sort of yeah they're sort of eunuchs i don't believe i mean <laughs> would you, do you believe i mean do you believe that this version of robin is a virgin i don't i don't sort of get the impression he's ever I couldn't believe I'm not sure I believe he's kissed the woman. I think definitely like erasing all of the sexuality, I think, has to be. I mean, especially it's so it's such a weird movie um, in this regard that like that there's supposed to be this sexual rivalry subplot, which they Mm -hmm. build up and keep referring to. But then then you don't really feel it. Well, I don't think you really feel it because neither of them really do anything about it. Yeah, they're exactly. Yeah. All at one another. They're not direct. It's not like they're really directing it at Poison Ivy. Right. And yeah, it's sort of this idea that if you're sort of addled with pheromones and you're, you know, you're you're going crazy at this one, neither of them are seeking her out. They just seem to be <laughs> right. moaning at one another about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's one really odd moment later on where where Bruce says, like, yeah, I want her. I want her so much I can taste it. I don't, I don't believe that. No. You're, acting, you're acting exactly the same as you are the whole time. You're just doing your little weird smile. Uh, next up, dinner date with Julie. Well, isn't this the terrible? I mean, most this... passionless. Yeah. I mean, it's but it's also it's her the nearest she gets to a scene, and all she yeah. is there to is so they can do the cliche of him getting her name wrong and her morphing into Poison Ivy, which I think you can tell is going to happen. Yeah, a while in the before first five seconds. Yeah. And so you're not even listening to what she's saying as she valiantly mm-hmm. gets through take 24 and is still trying, <laughs> right. trying and failing to land it. Um, yeah, she's saying that she wants to spend the rest of her life with him. I don't know it's, why. It's sounding even less sure about this than he is. Yeah, like not not actually dramatized in this film is is 
why she would why she's into him how that how that operates it's such a strange is that character there just solely so they can do that scene oh to show just to show that like he's thinking about poison ivy is yeah, that, I, I can't really right. see any. Just she has even with like editing around a performance. Mm-hmm. There's no story. There's nothing for her to do. Yeah, involved. it just feels like such a laboured way to get to something. Yeah, that's just throw away. Yeah, the world just yawns. I think we look at this. We look at this scene and we just move on. Uh, and next up is the bizarre motorcycle race, and I am interested in your thoughts on this. Well, this is really weird, isn't it? Because it's yeah. a, it's a location. Um, we've we've not set set other than some establishing shots of Wayne Manor and that little mm-hmm. walk through that garden. We've not gone outside once, and suddenly we're we're on these LA underpasses, which are, <laughs> right. and we sort of made some attempts to sort of graffiti them up and light them so they look like the rest of the film. But suddenly, you know, the shots are composed differently. They're sort of mm-hmm. lit in a different way, and it does feel um tonally like it's from a, a slightly grungier more urban film and th- there's mm-hmm. some weird stuff as well with the extras because they're like droogs from a clockwork yeah. orange and there's this other sort of set of people who are like new romantics and... yeah and then a, a group that is basically like cats they're from like mm. the, the musical cats and then there's some from pre-revolution france <laughs> that it feels kind of Rocky Horror Picture Show to me, where you get like a group of extras and you dress them all as weird as you possibly can, as different from each other yeah. as you possibly can. It does, um, yeah, it does feel like a sort of someone junior in the costume department got given a project. And, right, and yes. Um, and it, it's an odd kind of, it's an odd time to break out of this world into something different. And mm-hmm. I can't decide if it's refreshing or irksome. I because, just, I don't really understand why it's even here in the movie. Well, I think it's there because if it's not, Batgirl, Stroke Barbara gets absolutely nothing to do. Oh, I guess that's true. I mean, it's I think it's there to give her yeah. to give her a set piece because otherwise, really, her scene would be meeting Poison Ivy later on, right? But she's but the, she's the got problem is, is that if this is sort of Barbara's big scene, yeah. But you don't she's see her face. Really in it. She's yeah. in it at the very start, and then it, we're into stunts and you know reaction yeah. shot. There isn't dialogue or anything, mm-hmm. so it's it doesn't really do probably what it's there to do. There's a sort of yeah. simple scene about, and this film, this is not a film that's interested in simple scenes. But yeah. there, you could do, structure it in a way that while well, uh, Bruce and girlfriend Jane, Julie, Julie, yeah, Julie. Are having their their sexless day. <laughs> um, uh, Dick and Barbara are wandering Gotham, having an equally sort of sexless night out. But, mm-hmm. You know, and actually sort of sketching some character stuff. Yeah. Instead, it's this, or they it, or they run into some trouble, and it turns and out, run it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, then that she can handle herself. Peril. Yeah, she can handle herself and, better than we think she can. And just do it as a much simpler scene, but instead it's. It's an effects extravaganza that took a week of night shoots. Yeah. And ultimately is probably completely superfluous in that form. And one thing that I think is funny about it is that every, like, there's all these little sections Mm -hmm. of track that they're going down. And it is obviously, like, the same tunnel Mm -hmm. that they, like, we they all zoom down and then they cut and you dress it differently. And now Mm -hmm. they come and zoom down the exact same little section of tunnel. 
and the whole the whole thing is just like kind of all of those strung together with different like little ramps and little like sparky explosions and stuff it's very yeah it's very repetitious and it's sort of the one sort of um curveball it has is the lorry that um sort of scoots in front and that's actually quite nicely done i think yeah but yeah it just it just feels like it goes on. And then it gets this it weird does. thing where we suddenly cut to this model shot where mm-hmm. we're way, way up in the air. We're on a bridge. They say something about I, like, yeah. And I have got this, like the there's even sort of an intermediate shot where they're kind of going uphill. It, yeah, I just no. don't understand what the geography of that is. And, it's, you know, and we're very clearly, we're on like an underpass under a freeway or something at the start. Yeah. It's not, you know, we're like, You're not high up like that. Yeah, this is just the weird we, Gotham City geography. Hi, we are literally hundreds of feet in the air seemingly. It's yeah. very, very strange. Yeah, it's a weird sequence. Um and, and ending ending with Robin and and Barbara, they're both hanging off of the edge of this bridge, but he's hanging off by one shoe. And then he's got and he one takes his helmet hand. off as well. Yeah. With, I don't know, his third arm or something. <laughs> I it was kind of work out how. Yeah, uh, it's another one where they do a jump cut to avoid showing how they possibly got out of this. Absolutely, yeah. I, the only it thing I can think of is, is just like the that the little Robin orang, the little grappling hook. He just uses that again. I guess we have been trained to recognize that, but yeah, but no, there's no there's no connection between like that and then like the literally it cuts to him and Barbara somewhere else, mm-hmm. back like back at Wayne Manor. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's that happens a few times in this film, but that one is just. I mean, that one's the worst because yeah, it feels it's really like obvious. It's meant to be. I think we're meant to think this is like a really sort of joyous, uplifting moment, and it's just really distracting. Really not odd cut. Yeah. And so now, all of a sudden, she is upset that Alfred has lived the life of a servant, and subjugated all his life and dreams for somebody else. This comes out of exactly nowhere. Well, this is again. It feels like there's a sort of hangover from an earlier draft of of her, where she had a character. <laughs> right. Has she, you know, has she been thrown out of Oxbridge University, which is a real place as we know, um, <laughs> because you know she is there a class thing going on there that she, you know, couldn't get along with? It feels like something's there, but it's mm-hmm. sort of bubbling around in a very subliminal way. And yeah, it's this really odd gear change where I've been living in quite merrily mm-hmm. in this billionaire's mansion. Now I'm really angry about yeah. billionaires expecting their servants to work for them. Yeah, I really, I just, I don't understand Barbara's character at all and what they're, what they're trying to do with her. Again, uh, I, th- I think there's a much simpler scene where it's yeah. her, her and her talking about what it's like living, living with someone who's really rich. And is he really, mm. is, is, what is Bruce like? Is he, because she has no curiosity about Bruce whatsoever. No, yeah, feels odd. I mean, she doesn't have any curiosity in Dick either. So, yeah, it's funny when he was in the same. He's in the same position in the last movie, and he really wants to investigate. Like he's kind of trying to. He figures out that Bruce is Batman. By is that what's is that what's wrong with her character that she doesn't figure anything out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the many. Yeah, I think it should be that from the minute she gets there, she does not buy that these people are who they say they are. Yeah, that's I, yeah. I, I guess they're the just. Problem. I guess they're just not interested in her. Like, there's so many. Oh, I think in this conversation, we've come up with like five different things that she could do 
Mm-hmm. And she hasn't done any of them. No. We get Ivy uh, breaking Freeze out of the asylum. Again, I, I really like all of them. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, well, I, I think it's also, I think it's Uma Thurman's best stuff. Because it's basically just her and Arnold Schwarzenegger doing doing two-hander C, you know, yeah. they're doing a two-hander and being very amused. And I like the whole thing about her being his sister, which just seems like such a pointless thin ruse. <laughs> right. It, yeah, it, the, the guards the guards say, hey, your sister's here. And then she walks in looking the way that she looks. <laughs> and here's where she has those like twin cones on her yeah. head, which don't so really she, make a ton of sense. And like, yeah, no, this is somebody's sister. Uh, so I just, why you, it's Arkham, so they probably get <laughs> yes. things like this all the time. But, yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, I just like the whole business of it. I think, I also, if we skip past the bit that's a sort of crib from the animated series with Mr. Freeze makes his little, uh, his little model out of ice. Oh yeah, that is, that's the, that's here. Is that, that's not at the head of this scene, isn't yes. it? Or is it, you know, again, in a very shouty, gaudy shrieking parakeet of a movie yeah this is actually i think a really a really nice moment yeah you're right and it's a sort of nice moment it's an interesting sort of moment of calm mm-hmm. that works in a way that all the stuff saying wayne manor which i think is trying to do that as well yeah feels like we sh- we just the movie goes into sleep mode for a bit yeah and um, this is and this is connecting freeze emotionally as well to like he has, also, he has actual trauma. Like, it's about him missing his wife and, and wishing that she was with him. And it's also, you know, he's it shows he's artistic. It shows yeah, he, yeah. It's something, you know, there's an appreciation of beauty. There's lots of, you know, without, and it's a, and it's a dialogue-free scene. Again, yeah. a, a film where people usually, if they want you to know something about them, say <laughs> Expressing it, it all. Yeah. I just like the fact, and it's done in one shot as well. It's a nice sort of elegant um, yeah. tracking shot that sort of, uh, uh pivots around him and i just think it's really really nice and then poison ivy turns up and <laughs> miles it up and it's it's all good yeah yeah it's funny that like he's the biggest and the craziest and when people are saying that they don't like the film they usually go to him for like what's the thing that you don't like about it um they talk about like arnold schwarzenegger is ridiculous as mr freeze and i what you and i are saying is like I think they get him right. Like, I don't. I think they got have... their money worth out of him. I think that that's the, you know, it, it, he turned. I think you can see in that performance why he was at the time the biggest movie star there was, and he could right. on twenty five million yeah. to do as little work as possible on this film. Yeah, but whenever he, as you say, you know, the whole operation has been built around those moments he is available to be in front of the camera but right. whenever he's in close up you know he nails he, it every he time it and he's doing exactly what you want him to do yeah and giving the, the whole thing a kind of energy that really everything else should follow and when mm-hmm. it does follow, it really works i think right which then it does because now poison ivy's coming in and they're doing that two-handed scene yeah they break out bad. of this i'm sorry yeah. you're gonna I like and again I like the breakout as well because yeah. it's this idea that you know Poison Ivy has a go and doesn't quite manage it. And then <laughs> right. Mr. Freeze is actually shown being kind of clever and ingenious. And yeah. I, 
and then they escape in this ridiculous way. Oh, and I also love the shot of um, Bane, Bane with Mr. Freeze's uh, outfit, his armor in that sort of piled up in that shopping trolley. Yeah, rolling the corridor. There's just something very. <laughs> it's like backstage theater about that. <laughs> yeah. And they end up in that same thing that has puzzled us before, where like you look down and it's just another cliff. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to plummet hundreds and hundreds of feet. (laughs) The city composed entirely of cliff tops. And there is, uh, and unfortunately we do miss what state Poison Ivy would have been when she dragged herself out of those waters. That is true. Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe Mr. Freeze was gentlemanly and unfolded his wings and (laughs) fluttered down to, fluttered down to safety with her. Yeah. Bane can just painful. You can you can drop Bane on his head. He'll probably be fine. <laughs> he should. The investigation in Freeze's hideout, I think, is beautiful because we get to see there's no reason for us now to be doing the scene that we do in his hideout. It's just that his hideout is awesome. And so, yeah, let's have some scenes in there. I The thing I like, and it's this isn't quite the right film to do it, but I like the business of Batman being a detective. Mm-hmm. I, and films often get simplified to Batman you know waits people up yeah and then beats them up yeah and so the idea that batman goes somewhere to find something out and then he sort of pieces together they piece together the thing about mr freeze's wife Mm -hmm. mcgregor syndrome sadly there is no cure for yeah Um, you know uh well this is also where where gordon shows him a picture of ivy Ivy and bane this picture picture of ivy and bane getting off the plane um hang it in the national portrait gallery it's, <laughs> it's extraordinary uh it's like they're so close to a running joke that bane yeah seem to be wearing some completely unconvincing disguise yeah but they don't really yeah they don't point that out as enough yeah you know what in the last scene with the prison break like if he'd been wearing a uniform he should yeah no that's exactly with a little, yeah with a little like it should, be in, it should be like a guards thing with a little hat yeah sort of, <laughs> Oh, that would have been fun. So they are now finding out the the dust has worn off. Um, they found out that poison ivy poisons people. Robin's line is, "Well, she's definitely evil." Which, okay, thank you, Robin. And meanwhile, so they're they are looking at Nora in her cryo tank, and then meanwhile, right under them, through the a grating in the floor, we see Freeze and Ivy immediately down there and they have a whole conversation about mm-hmm. what they're planning to do. I mean, I kind of like that sort of, well, you know, uh, well, we both watched Doctor Who and Dark Shadows. So I think yeah. we use people c- crouching around corners, having very loud conversations. <laughs> people yes. Not here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't mind that. And this, and I think it is actually kind of, I kind of like the absurdity of mm-hmm. that the, these people are so close and yeah not interacting the the sort of it is it is silly and cute it's, of that. yeah and it's sort of like this panto moment of panto, yes pure panto yeah um, i kind of but i kind of i i think particularly on that set mm-hmm. that set because if you're going to go really goofy that's where it's going to happen and should yeah we've got a couple of more action sequences coming up mm-hmm. so one is is mr freeze uh stomping out into his lair, grabbing some diamonds and freezing all the cops. 
he turns on yeah. the freeze gas and freezes all the cops and they try to chase him upstairs and he kicks them and they all tumble down the stairs together like the Keystone cops. Mm-hmm. Again, freeze can do nothing wrong for me. Anything he does, I kind of love it. How about the fight with Bane? Because that's the other thing that's happening in another part of the factory. Terrible. <laughs> I agree. That's where I thought we were going. Yeah, it's. I think it's also. I mean, it doesn't help. This sort of cross cut. Um, yeah. But you sort of want one. You you sort of want them both to be a glorious fact. Again, it feels like. You know, Bane is just not played by any. I, mm-hmm. Had they cast someone? Well, cast right, that would have been great. Yeah, cast an actor as Bane. Yeah. I think the whole way you shoot him would be different. The whole way he appears in scenes would be different. But because he's basically a supporting artist, mm-hmm. that's the way everything everything with him is perfunctory. It's yeah, he's just a big thing that kind of smashes he's big, down. He's a big yeah. thing, and occasionally there's a sort of a, there's a joke. And it's usually a joke made at the fact that he's a prop doing something inappropriate. Yeah, yes. It's not actually Bane has a joke. Or it's that he can say one word at a time, basically. Or he says, yeah, which yeah. again is just making a joke out of the fact this guy can't that deliver dialogue. He's not doing anything, yeah. And so, yeah, and so it, there is this problem that every time you cut away, particularly you're cutting away from Mr. Freeze to Bane. Right, to this. It's just not that interesting. You know, everyone's just looking at their watches going, can we, can we go back over there, please? Right. And this is a much smaller set too. This is this it is, is kind of almost, cramped. I mean, this is almost sort of nineteen sixty six Batman, right? Yeah, scene yeah. set, tiny little studio set. It feels very yeah. It feels a bit TV. Um, although I do, I like the uh, the child in me likes the fact there is a sort of big uh, vat of gloop that exists for no other reason than <laughs> to fall into it. In the most yeah. Way possible, and then Ivy points out um, the action figure thing. She actually just yes, she she says says the, the quiet part out loud. She says, "I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's why every Poison Ivy action figure comes complete with him," which is exactly exactly correct. Yeah, the, the action figure no one wants. Yeah, exactly. You're going to buy it in a two pack because we're not going to sell it any other way. Yep. Yeah, and really, mostly they just didn't like that was. There's a hundred uh, Batman toys. There's a whole bunch of Robin toys. There's a whole bunch of Mister Freeze toys. And Poison mm-hmm. Ivy, I think, gets like that one. Actually, that two pack of like Poison Ivy and Bane, and then that's that's it for them. Ivy's vamping Robin some more. Batman's telling her, you know, don't kiss her. He's figured out that her lips are poison. And basically, what this is all about is just Bane throwing Robin into a vat of pistachio ice cream. Mm-hmm. Which, according to the rules of Batman, means that he is now a supervillain. He is an ice cream themed supervillain. Ice cream, yeah, he would be. Yeah, it's very satisfying. I think actually, because Robin has been so juvenile and so irritating, it's just like that. that there is, is something. I'm not sure it's meant to be, but there's something really satisfying about seeing him <laughs> out of that. And then yeah. for having to do the walk of shame home, all sticky. To yeah, to <laughs> presumably swearing under his breath. Yeah. And once again, Ivy and Bane get away because Batman is just like helping Robin out of the ice cream vat, which he absolutely could have done himself. <laughs> These are very slow villains. And Batman really does not put a lot of effort into any of this. Then we get to their split hideout. So now Ivy goes back to the Turkish bath and she's got her flower area. And now he has built his own little ice area, which is right next to it. 
Ice animals. Yeah, which I like. It's sort of, it's very much like, it's kind of a Disneyland thing. It's kind of like a carnival thing of like, here's this room. And then that room is themed completely differently. Mm-hmm. Oh, and... I like I like that. And I sort of like this idea of them as very old neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And she tells Freeze that Batman has deactivated Nora and she is dead. And he yells, you lie. And then she's got the necklace. He takes it. He looks at it. And we get a little frozen tear running down his cheek which is another little i feel perfect moment where like a little tear goes down and it freezes and it turns into a little diamond and then it blows away that's nice yeah uh and then she talks him into murdering everybody in the entire world yes uh well i guess he's like he's having a bad day so he really is and then everything after that there's uh some more bad news about alfred now alfred is lying down Mm-hmm. Um, he's got McGregor syndrome. I I don't know if they've considered putting him in a frozen tank. That seems to be effective. Well, there's one going spare apparently. Yeah. Well, the frozen tank salesman, is, you know, should be at the door trying to get another, make another sale. Yeah. It, I mean, the whole, I mean, it, the whole Alfred thing is really weird because it, it's sort of, and again, it wouldn't be this film. I almost wish they just had the. You know, in this sort of Teflon world where no one gets injured or scratched or mm-hmm. there's any danger of dying, if actually you had a sort of real human death happens not because of anything, it just happens yeah. because he's old. Right. You could see that being quite moving, but there's this sort of, it's this odd sort of false jeopardy that it's set up in a way that we know that, yeah, we know because it's the same thing that Mr. Freeze's wife has got, that it's going to be cured that way. And again, I can't decide if it's, for the sort of film they're trying to make, it probably is the right kind of Jeopardy and it does mm-hmm. sort of thematically work, but it's also kind of tiresome to me. It is to me too. Yeah. I actually, I would, I I think it would be much stronger if it had something to do with the villains. If this was a thing that Mr. Freeze did or a thing that poisoned, especially if it was intentional, if the mm-hmm. villains had targeted Alfred in some kind of way, that would have been, I think, really dramatic and exciting. Yeah. Yeah, there's that sort of odd thing. I suppose it's in these kind of films, you never really want something to happen just by complete coincidence. Yeah, yeah. It is. It should be linked up to something. Mm. There's one more Robin Rebellion before we get to the end of Act Two, uh, where now they're he's in love with Poison Ivy again. This is where this is where Bruce says, like, I want her so badly I can taste it, which is not Yeah, sure you can. Yeah, not not dramatized in this film. Um and Bruce says to, to Dick, she's clouded your mind and you're not thinking straight. And Robin says, oh, but I am for the first time in a long time. And so if you insist on the homoerotic reading, that's like your one line that I think everybody uh, mm-hmm. when when they're writing their um, their film student paper, their essay on on homosexuality and Batman and Robin, like that's that's the line that is the big money line for them. Yeah, I can sort of see that. I mean, it's. I think it's thin gruel, but okay. <laughs> it certainly is. And Robin shouts that he is tired of living in Batman's shadow. He says all that he ends. He's going to go and sulk in his room for a bit. Yeah, one more, one more rebellion from him. He says all that ends right now. So, all that is ending right now. The Batman and Robin partnership is falling to pieces because of a deadly dame. That when you get right down to it, neither of them likes very much. That means this is the end of Act Two of Batman and Robin. Act Three is just as disappointing, if not more so. 
I will see you back here for Act 3 of Batman and Robin on the Superheroes Everyday Podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's cool it for now. I've got someone I want you to meet. His name is Bane. A laundry service that delivers. Wow!